Good evening. You know, you know, last week in the Sunday Gospel, Jesus presented a story, a parable of contrasts. The prayer of the Pharisee versus the prayer of the tax collector. Both went up to the temple to pray, but only one was true and sincere. And it wasn't the self-righteous Pharisee's prayer, despite the fact that he fasted, he tithed his income, and received uh, rejoiced that he was not like the thief adulterer or tax collector. He wasn't like the little people. God was impressed, though, by the humble prayer of the tax collector, the one who stood at a distance, beating his breast and begging that God would be merciful to him, a sinner. Today we encounter more self-righteous people who complain that Jesus is interacting with the worst of sinners in Jericho. And undeterred, we see how Jesus mercifully responds to them. Before he headed up to Jerusalem to lay down his life for us, Jesus went hunting for a lost soul in Jericho, one of the lowest cities on earth at over 850 feet below sea level that was and still is rich with lush vegetation. There's a lot of farmers there that claim that their produce is the best in the world. I've been there. I eat it, I smile, I shake my head so as not to start an international incident, but I definitely think to myself, you haven't had fruits and vegetables from the Midwest of the United States. They're much better, but I digress. Back to the story. Jesus is in search of Zacchaeus, perhaps the greatest public sinner in the city, to bring him back to the fold. Zacchaeus wasn't just one of the despised and excommunicated tax collectors that Jews hated. No, he was the chief tax collector. Despite his past of stealing from his own people, Jesus still let the crowds, uh, let the crowds behind and enter Zacchaeus's, left the crowds behind and entered Zacchaeus's home and into his life. He called Zacchaeus by name, a name that means God remembers. Despite his sins, God remembers. God remembered him. So Jesus took the initiative, calling him down uh, from a tree and invited him as himself to dinner. And he knocks at the door of Zacchaeus' heart, just as he knocks at the doors of our souls, asking for entry. Coming to us wherever we are, no matter the sinful depths from which we've sunk, no matter if we've been hated by others, we learn through Zacchaeus that in repentance we too can have salvation come literally under our roofs. This is the first of three lessons that we learn from Zacchaeus' story. For Catholics, our Jericho, where Jesus pulls us away from the, the communion of the, or the commotion of the crowds, where we've been hit bottom is the sacrament of reconciliation. In the confessional, Jesus ministers to us one-on-one, -on -one, just as he interacted with Zacchaeus. For our part, we have to be willing to humbly step away with Jesus to receive the salvation. As Zacchaeus came down from the tree, so we need to come down to leave the purchase of our pride and allow Jesus into our lives. And no matter what we've done, it's comforting to know that Jesus did not forget Zacchaeus, and he does not forget us. In fact, it should comfort us that Jesus has a special care for us as sinners. He could have stayed in any house in Jericho, 
but he chose to come to the house of a notorious sinner to show his love and care for those in most need of his mercy and salvation. Pope Francis once said of this passage that there's no profession or social condition, no sin or crime that can eliminate one of God's children from his memory and from his heart. God always remembers us. He never forgets anyone that he has created. He is a father who always is expectant and loving and has a vigil to see the desire to return home, to be reborn in the hearts of his children. And when he recognizes that desire, even in a simple and almost unconscious way, Jesus quickly draws near to help us. The second thing we learn from Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus is that he is spiritually hungry, even willing to climb a sycamore tree, an interesting detail. The text tells us that Zacchaeus was trying to see Jesus, but he couldn't see him because he was short, something that I know nothing about. I more resemble the tree in which Zacchaeus climbs. So he ran ahead and climbed that tree along with Jesus' route in order just to see him. Sometimes toxic human relationships get in the way, blocking our view from Jesus. Parents block their sight of their children sometimes when they don't pray with them, when they don't engage in any number of, when they engage in any number of sinful behaviors. Some kids do the same to their stressed out parents by sinfully rebelling. Sometimes spouses drag each other down. Sometimes friends drag each other down. Sometimes the crowd of cultural forces obscures our vision by telling us that a sinful path is okay when it isn't. Secular voices in the media impede our vision by distorting Jesus' message or ignoring him altogether these days or ridiculing those who believe in him. Sometimes even those who should be icons of Jesus, Christians who publicly profess the faith and then live a sinful life, obscures others' visions. And like Zacchaeus, sometimes we have to go out on a limb. Zacchaeus, a middle-aged tax collector, humbles himself, risks more ridicule, and climbs a tree just to see the Lord suddenly doesn't care what others think. In his conversion, nothing is going to stop him. Zacchaeus' example challenges each of us to consider how far we will go to encounter the Lord. How much do we desire to see him? How much do we desire to be in a relationship with him? Are we willing to be foolish by worldly standards? I'd say maybe going on a retreat or praying publicly at meals going to Mass on every Sunday when others sleep in, becoming a priest, becoming a nun, becoming a married person in the church when so many others choose otherwise today? Do we overcome that which gets in the way? And the third, final thing that Zacchaeus teaches us is that true conversion also brings about conversion of others. As a tax collector, Zacchaeus was guilty of ripping people off shaking them down for commissions beyond what tax collectors needed to send to the Roman Empire. Zacchaeus knew that he needed to to fix that by making amends and charting a new course for his life. So he told Jesus 
I'll give up to half of my wealth to the poor, and I'll pay back four times as much as I stole from others. Interestingly, justice required that Zacchaeus give back what he had overcharged. Maybe it's a little bit of interest. But he gives back 400% interest, a sign of his great sorrow for his sins and his desire to do better. Moreover, observant Jews gave 10% of their incomes to God and the poor. Zacchaeus committed to 50% of his income, a sign of a renewed love and a recognition that others needed his money more than he did. Zacchaeus was truly detached from his wallet and his money because Jesus had called him. He had new priorities in life. From now on, he would be honest, using his office to glorify God and for the salvation of souls. And he likely remained a rich man, but one that used his riches to build God's kingdom. Lives would be changed. More conversions would follow. Zacchaeus' conversion and subsequent actions make me wonder to whom I need to make amends for past sins for the good of the kingdom. Maybe we need to apologize for something. Maybe we need to repair the harm that we've caused through gossip. Maybe we need to make restitution for the things that we've stolen from a family member or even from the poor through our own selfishness. So we learn today that there is nothing Jesus will not do to save us. He calls us by name and says, I must stay at your house today. You know, at every Mass, we pray the words of the centurion, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Jesus promises us that he has come to seek and to save what was lost. He has come to seek and to save sinners, you and I. May salvation come to our homes today and may we welcome him in.